Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sad Songs podcast. If you're hearing this in bovine clarity, it must be Sad Songs. Today we're going to talk about the Blur single Under the Westway, released in 2012 to coincide with Blur's reunion. The people joining me on the podcast today are Kenneth Smith of Liverpool University. Hello. Joe Jones of London Town. Uh, hello. And Russell Lee of Lincolnshire NHS. Hello. And I'm Steve Novry of Newcastle University. Today, I'm going to talk about Under the Westway. It's a song that I'm going to introduce today. Everyone on this podcast has known me for quite some time or lived with me for a while. So you all may know or be aware that whatever sad song I'm listening to tends to reflect my state of mood at any given time. And I've been listening to quite a bit of Under the Westway at the moment. And this probably isn't a coincidence. Uh, As Lacan said, a letter always arrives at its destination, uh, meaning the unconscious will always betray you. And I think what's going on in the song Under the Westway by Blur is that it's a song of middle age, a song in which we see sadness and joy moving away from the highs and lows, the extremes of one's earlier years and moving into the small things. And if you think about what Damon Auburn is singing about in the song, playing darts in a pub, still being awake at last call in the same pub, the flag going down, memories of his uh, childhood, probably in Chelmsford, which is also explored in the blood song Essex Dogs. We see a kind of a narrowing of the world. And in our first episode, we talked about Julian Baker's appointments and how that was a narrowing of the world. This is a very different type of narrowing of the world. It's a narrowing not of um, what can be in one's world, but a narrowing of the highs, a narrowing of the lows, and a kind of acceptance of the middle. One thing I've been wondering for a while now, as I am in or hit, or depends how generous we're going to be, I'm 40 in a two weeks' time, middle age, is the dad joke and... Uh, why I think the dad joke is so funny now. And I think both the dad joke is funny now, both in content and in lameness. It's got a kind of double funniness. And I think this is what's going on in the song Under the Westway, in a kind of way. It's a dad joke of a song, which is that it finds joy in things that maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you wouldn't find joy in things. And at the same time, it finds a sadness in these things that you maybe would or wouldn't have found a sadness in at the same time. There's another Blur song that I'd like to mention at this point, which is For Tomorrow from 1993, which also mentions the Westway. And the way in which the Westway is mentioned in in For Tomorrow is as this sort of signifier of hope and possibility and excess and what it means to be in London. And it's made to be quite a big thing. And a lot of these early Blur songs from the 90s, um, from Modern Life is Rubbish, from Park Life, they work in such a way as they kind of, they, they have a certain braggadocio about enjoyment, what Lacan would call jouissance, this kind of thing that, you listen to the song and you get this impression that something is being enjoyed. And what you get in Under the West Way and in the later works of Blur, I think is this sense that 
the enjoyment isn't necessarily well it is necessarily there but it doesn't have to be signified or doesn't have to be shown and one can enjoy or not enjoy lesser and smaller things 1993 is a bit of a, a foreign country the the time that um for tomorrow was released and it in a way it's a very different world to the world that we live in today but one of the differences between these two moments of the blur songs i think is this process of aging and is under the west way a sad song i'm not sure per se it's a sad song it's a song that has a certain sadness to it but also a certain sweetness to it but it's a it's a slight sadness and a slight sweetness and i think that's what makes it interesting as something to think about as a sad song i'll throw one other thing out there and maybe Kenneth will say a bit more about this one here. There's a line in it, right? Followed under the spell of the distance between us when we communicate, which seems to me to be a very Lacanian thing to say. In a way, you could say all of Lacan might be in that, you know, this gap between people when they communicate and the kind of sadness of that, but also the sort of joy of that and the acceptance of that as being something that one may come to at a certain point in their lives. Now, I know that I have much more enthusiasm for Under the Westway than my um, podcasting cohorts here, but I will ask everyone uh, in turn if they've got anything they'd like to say about this one. Uh, Ruth, what is this one to you? Um well, I mean, you say that I don't have the relationship with it that you do, and that's quite true. Um, however, it's a song that I have come to love. Um, probably since you mentioned doing it for this podcast, I've uh, listened to it a number of times. Um, I guess attempted to interpret it. And I think potentially um, I've taken a different interpretation to you on it. Um, for one thing, I mean, particularly in the first verse, it it it, it sounds almost kind of apocalyptic. Um, it, it seems like um, there's a, a criticism for the the modern age, and uh, later in the song, it all seems to kind of, you know, burn down to to, to nothing. Um, so I, I kind of took it as a, sort of an end of an age rather than um, uh, going into middle age or or loss of life it's, it's the end of an age for for the city as a whole <clears throat> um so yeah i think that was my uh take on it i i did um see blur in 2013 i think it was in uh, in portugal uh we played the song with the the first um first song of their encore and so remember it's quite a new song at that time and I, i'm not sure everyone uh, necessarily knew it. um i think Sort of, you know, I'd certainly heard it because it came out, I think, around the time of the Olympics. But it was a bit of a um, flag waver, a bit of a, a hold your lighter up sort of moment. So uh, I think it's got a quality of a, um, a decent sort of stadium song. Um, and it harks back, I think, to uh, probably earlier Blur, um, probably... Um, the Great Escape era blur, I think, has got some some sounds about it that sound similar to uh, some songs from from that record. And I think, you know, in hindsight, having listened to it more this week, um, I think it's a, a great blur song up there with with the best, and uh, really enjoyed listening to it. So thanks, Steve. 
this is this is great, Esther. Well, lovely commentary. Um, I I I've got, I do agree. It's it's a kind of ending, but there's a certain apocalypticism in some of the earlier Blur songs about an ending. I mean, I'm thinking about um, end of the century particularly, which really posits this sort of great moment. You know, the century is ending. What's going on? There's a real sort of deepness to that sadness whereas in in under the west way there's a bit more of a kind of acceptance you know oh they're putting things in our dreams they're doing this but it's okay we'll sort of plod on we'll continue and i do think that's an interesting relationship to uh to sadness there uh what do you think about this one joe i'm i mean i'm similar to russell in that i wasn't i was aware of it i knew the song a bit I knew it, you know, to, to sort of listen to, I guess, but then I've listened to it quite a lot in the last few days just for, for the purposes of this. And it's really, it's really grown on me, actually. It's kind of made me remember why I love uh, loved a lot of Blur. I haven't listened to Blur in ages, really. Um, and one, one thing I have to say about it is is this, in terms of sadness, I see it more as sort of a melancholy rather than sad, out and out sadness. There's this sort of sad, this melancholic sort of longing sort of vibe. And I like this idea, you talking about the, the sort of distance, like in a second verse, it mentions the fallen under the spell of distance between us when we communicate. And that makes him with Russell's slightly apocalyptic, but more like, I think, slightly more cosmic vibe. You know, you talk about the, the watching comets, lonesome trails and um, somewhere out there in space and all this sort of stuff. It's kind of got this very wistful uh, sort of, like with that, that idea of the loss of probably time or growing up or getting middle age, I think is that idea as well of finding your your place a bit in the world. Like you said, him becoming more at ease with it. You sort of feel like there is this sort of at ease with it and accepting that he's some tiny part in this ginormous story. And then he's focusing on the little, the little tiny bits of it, you know, the little things like playing darts in the pub and whatever, you know, going back to the West Way all the time. That road in what is it uh, Shepherd's Bush, isn't it? I think. Um, so yeah, and obviously it does it does hark back to some of the older stuff. So I, the way I see it is like it's a it's a, more than the other ones we've listened to. I see it sort of. I do find some acceptance and a bit of sort of sort of happiness in this one, but it's still pretty pretty sad, really. Um, and then I like this. There's just a couple of lines I really like. like I really like this on a permanent basis. I apologise. I like this <laughs> yeah. underlying current of it being a. I sort of think of it as a breakup, but you think of it as you know. There's also that is it. It's a breakup of several things, like uh, between him and someone else, but also him and his past self, and then possibly him and other other planets or whatever. You know, the cosmic sort of distance. So, as as I'm aware of it, what, what's gone on here is this is a sort of song he originally wrote for his own sort of household, his family, as their quote national anthem. Oh. And when Blur got back together, he thought, well, this is this is so good, I can make it into a, a Blur song. Oh, really? And and that's what happened. And he described it as a kind of coda for all of Blur. It's that sort of the the ending, what, what or what happened after the ending in a way. 
Um, what about you, Ken? What do you think about this one? Yeah, well, I mean, I absolutely love it. I, I disagree with Stephen fundamentally when he thinks that, that the song means perhaps more to him than it does to me. I absolutely love this one. I always have. Um, I'm pretty sure you might have introduced me to it, Stephen, but I have heard it many, many times. Um, I do. There's a few words that you've all used which really sum it up for me. Um, Joy used the word wistful. Um, and for me, that, that, that's the kind of atmosphere that I think it really produces. Um, the idea of someone, I think I'm probably the oldest in this group, I'm 40. Is anybody else 40? No. No, just me. Ah. Two weeks. <laughs> yeah, right, two weeks. Well, you've got, you've got your time, Stephen. But uh, when you get to 40, Stephen, you'll find yourself starting to reflect a little bit more. Um, and, you know, this. I, I feel that this, it's as if somebody is just kind of getting really sick of technology, which is supposed to help us, but, you know, it seems to be stopping us from communicating with each other. Um, I guess, ironically, in the current situation, it's it's how we are communicating. Um but yeah, this this kind of lack of communication, this this kind of cynicism of the modern world, and a kind of desire to sort of get back to basics, you know, just people communicating by you know playing darts in a pub or just being together, um, you know, without actually you know necessarily having a physical distance or even an emotional distance. Um, so yeah, the word wistful, I think it's kind of mixed in with nostalgia, a kind of sense of regret. Um, but ultimately, I do. I think one of you also mentioned the word, you know, anthem. It is. It, it does feel like an anthem for Blur. Um, and I think there's, there's something about the music as, as well, which makes it feel very anthemic for me and kind of celebratory. Um, I always think of the. Um, weirdly, it reminds me of a song which should be completely different, which is that Oasis one. Um, it's got the same chord progression. Uh, it's the. <laughs> It goes, I'm free to be whatever, right? You know the one I'm talking about? I don't know if anyone else like Oasis enough to know that. No, no well, listen, um, I, I detest, I detest Oasis. Yeah, I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, that was like an Oasis kind of anthem from the time. Um, it's got the same chord progression. Um, but this one, um, it's, so it's got that kind of uh, secure, descending kind of bass, which really makes you feel like you're kind of really driving forward. Um <laughs> It talks about the spell of that distance between us. It's got this wonderful chord. I don't want to get too music theoretical about it, but it's always a wonderful sort of uh, like injection of like a minor key. Um, it's from a different key entirely, um, and it always gives me this sort of sense of like a real pang of nostalgia or or some kind of twist of a wound in, um, twist of a knife in the wound. I think it's a wonderful moment, and you get it in a lot of pop songs, but it always has that sudden sort of moment of uh, real pathos, and I think that's the thing that um, that sort of stops it from being you know an overly optimistic song, and it gives it comes with that. Um, fallen under the spell of the distance when we try to communicate and then of course things keep um, you know we get back on the kind of chord progression as well and back to that slightly more anthemic um, phrase but yeah for me the song does have that um, anthemic um, vibe to it um, feeling but it's also mixed in with wistfulness nostalgia and a real kind of tug at the heartstrings as well so at this point I usually ask everyone a question about the song. So we'll start with um, with Joe, I think, this time. Oh. Kenneth just claimed to be the, the oldest amongst us, <laughs> yeah. so therefore the most likely to have hit wistfulness. <laughs> but I know from experience, Joe, a child adds five years at least. Yeah. So let me ask you, have you given up in this way yet? 
I've given yeah, I mean I've given up in most ways really. I, that that was that was previous to the child, I think. But um yeah, I definitely think having having a child uh yeah, makes me have this feeling more like this song. I th- probably probably uh can uh yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Joe was given yeah. up. Can um question for you. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Oasis, and I, I bought the Oasis albums in the nineties. Um, Blur, apart from Pavement, are probably the only thing that I remember that I listened to in the early and mid nineties that I don't kind of totally recoil from. I wonder if you have um, any recollection of the nineties, and uh, you know what you like from the 90s still. In saying that, there's two things that I know you used to love in the 90s, which you're obviously now recalling from. <laughs> What's a, he once Don't came to school cool and, shaker. and discovered the best band in the world, um, and it was Cool to Shaker. Um, he, I, I repented. I want to make this absolutely true. clear. I repented very quickly and realised <laughs> the area in my ways. And Kenneth bought the second album well, yeah. and went to see them in concert years later. Yeah, I... I bought the second album because I wanted to see, you know, what was so great about them that Stephen, uh, you know, Stephen insisted I should buy it. But anyway, never mind that. Um, it, the two, the two that I really loved in the nineties were Suede and the Manic Street Preachers. Um, now, of course, the Manics were. Um, extremely depressive um, and very, very tortured in everything that they did. Um, I'm not sure those songs that, well, some of them are sad songs, but I'm not sure whether they would necessarily count as sad songs. There was so much um, anger and other complicated issues in there. I think for songs that we've chosen to look at so far, yes, they're complicated, but there is a, there's a sort of simplicity about the word sadness, which I don't think you could really summon up with the, with the Manic Street Preachers. I don't know. Um, Suede, I think I liked for different reasons. There was a kind of, um, there was a sort of far out in space quality about them. I think it was just a reverb or something. I'm not sure that sort of really high voice. I was hooked for that reason. Um, but yeah, there was certainly lots of melancholy disenfranchisement with uh, with the modern world. I think in all of these these albums in the 90s. Um, I didn't, I mean, you know, Suede, Mannix, Blur, it was the Britpop era. Um, but, you know, I, I, I never fell for Oasis, unlike, or Kula Shaker. <laughs> well, let that be on the record. Uh, no killer shaker for Kenna. I'll I'll find an independent witness at some point. So, Ross, I was wondering, um, Britpop, maybe not your thing, but were there any sad Britpop songs that you remember and would look back on affectionately? Ooh, well, I, I would say that the, the Britpop, no, not my thing. I'm probably born slightly too late. I think uh, my older sister, listen to a lot of Britpop and I probably listened to a little bit but I guess I started getting it just after it. I remember the uh um the, the battle to number one with Blur and Oasis I think I must have been about 10 11 um was that 95 or something well I'll, I'll tell you that one of the things about the the Blur back catalogue that makes it still so sort of listenable in my opinion is that there are these great sad songs in in various albums? I mean, particularly on Park Life, something that was considered to be mm-hmm. this kind of Britpop, you know, cheeky chappy, all right, geezer kind of thing. It had a lot of them. Um, this is a low, bad head. Uh, you know, it was quite a quite actually a melancholy album in some senses. I, I wonder if it's um, fair to say that I mean, part of Britpop was just uh, you know at least mm. the. 
the retrospective image of Britpop was this kind of rugged masculinity, but like a kind of quirky, twisted sort of sexuality as well. Um, and I think a lot of the singles that were out tended to be these kind of, uh, you know, really quite lively, um, sort of almost dancey, sort of, you know, laddish songs. And it seemed to me that on an album, you would buy an album of these kind of songs. I won't say necessarily which ones, but then you would find lots of quiet. I mean, like even like thinking of Swear during the first album, the singles that they released were all of these kind of trashy songs, uh, you know, kind of um, glam glam rock songs. And then you would get the album and every song that they hadn't released would be this really twisted, dark, melancholy song. I wonder if it's also something that came with later Britpop when bands started to think it's okay to kind of weep a bit in public and and not sort of swagger about so much. I don't know if that's fair. I don't know. What do you think, Stephen? I think there's probably there's probably an element at that time in, in which the, the swaggering elements were the ones that oh, sort oh. of made the press and were were taken up in the popular in a broader sense mindset. But yeah, it was it was definitely the case that that there were sad songs there. I mean, what I wonder about now is how many of those sad songs were sad songs that would aim at the adolescent versus sad songs that had a a certain level of timelessness to them. And I, I you know, it's easy to retrospectively mm. work it over in both directions that things were better or worse than they they really were. But Blur is one of the things I definitely rework or has has stayed with me really for the years. And and I think that's a a sign of of how good some of these songs are. Would you are. say, Steve? Um, you can probably see um, songs on part like that you mentioned up under the Westway. Has that changed from the, the kind of more adolescent to um, well, as you mentioned, the middle age uh, before? I mean, what 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 changes are there? What how how has it gone from adolescence to middle age? If you if you have a look at the song that I mentioned earlier for tomorrow. Um, you'll see, you know, if you watch the video, you'll see they're sort of riding London buses in suits and ties and there are sort of girls there. And it's all this sort of very much sort of presentation that everything is here now and we're enjoying it. In this sort of ruins of of London in the the early 90s, this sort of decaying area, I suppose, before the the sort of era of flare renewal, if you'll you'll give me that, you know, politically, that's a bit of a weird thing to say. Maybe the renewal was, was earlier than that. But they, they, you know, when I say they talk about the Westway, there's this, um, I can't remember the exact line. He's a 20th century boy with his hands on the wheel, trying not to be sick again and holding on for tomorrow. London ice cracks in a seamless line. We're lost on the Westway. And it's this sort of idea of, of um, really London being like this urban space to explore, this this sort of puzzle that you can can kind of try and uncrack, but you never can quite get to the bottom of it. Great entity that you can kind of throw yourself into. But there's this sense in the early Blur songs that they, they're kind of saying like, we've got it, you know, we're, we're solving this puzzle. We're the ones doing it. Whereas when it gets to Under the Westway, this kind of coda for, for Blur, I think you get this sense that there isn't really a solution and it's a sort of happiness with this fact that there isn't a solution. And here I'll throw a bit of Lacanon and see what Kenneth thinks about it. You can think about this early Blur stuff as being this discourse of the master thing where you're really looking for someone to kind of rubber stamp what you say and say, yes, you're right, you know, what you're doing is meaningful, it's important, it's good. And with the later stuff, it's what you would call the discourse of the analyst. And the analyst is aware that there really isn't goodness and there really isn't anyone who can rubber stamp it. And all there is is this process of seeking 
and that's it. And the the position you get to from this process of seeking is is a kind of diminished, but also a better position because you look for less, but you expect less at the same time. Thanks for throwing me the difficult, uh, you know, questions there. Um, the, it it does it does kind of in a way remind me of um, something you know people say about Lacanian theory, which is that the you know the goal in his kind of psychoanalysis is not to actually kind of remove a kind of block that was stopping you from uh, enjoying life and start to enjoy life like you know you would like Freud would aim to do, but it's to try and actually you know teach you to accept um, that you you know that being happy isn't everything, um, and you know once you accept that kind of level of you know um dissatisfaction um and you know the lack of ability to communicate the happiness will then follow to some degree um i was going to ask Stephen, and, and i mean we've talked quite a bit about blur songs particularly the and obviously the sad ones but you missed out the saddest blur song which i find unbearably melancholy to the extent that i don't actually know it um i heard it once and i've never heard it again because it was so depressing it's no distance left to run you remember this one Yes, I mean, you I once sent it to one, me yeah. when I was going through a pretty nasty, well, I felt at the time, nasty breakup, and I uh, thought, what what an absolute uh, monster sending someone a song like this at such a time. Um, I mean, I, I just, I forgot the title of it. I was just looking it up now and found out what it was, um, No Distance Left to Run. And Damon Alban was saying about it on Wikipedia, well, it's a quote, it says, it upsets me, that song. It upset me singing it. Doing that vocal upset me greatly. To sing that lyric, I really had to accept that that was the end of something in my life and it's a it, that's i think the, the thing that makes the song so sad is that um it's sort of it, it should be positive it's teaching you acceptance it's saying yeah i accept these things which of course if you really are in a bad state you you don't want to be told you know that life is okay accept this um you know it's a message that you really abjectly want to want to forget so you kind of try to repress this uh this kind of song and I've, which i've done successfully for many many years now until the old wound has now been opened in this podcast <laughs> Well, has anyone else got any closing remarks on this song? Just gripes, really. Steve's got form with that, with the old uh, <laughs> sharing uh, <laughs> brutal mixes when things are tough. Uh, I'll say at the end, I'll say this is, uh, I think this, yeah, this is a great song. Thanks for uh, reintroducing it to me. I think it's probably more melancholy than sad, but, you know, I let it slide. For... We'll take this up in later podcast, Joe, but, I mean, melancholia should really be worse than sadness. It's a, it's a really <laughs> terrific loss. Um, it, certainly the way Freud conceptualizes it. So we'll, oh, we'll almost okay. certainly come back to this notion I, at some point. I think Joe does need to work oh, on good, his different okay. gradations of sorrow and misery <laughs> and melancholy. And, and so, um, <laughs> well, I'm just, well, yeah, I just wallow in a pit of all of them. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I must say this morning I was discussing this song with uh, with my wife because um, I listened to it quite a bit, as I said before, and she's heard it from me listening to it. And I, I th- always thought this was quite a happy song. And she said, no, 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 it's a terribly sad song. Um, and it, in a way that kind of typifies us because um, I always think that every cloud has a silver lining. She always says that every silver lining has a cloud. Um, and it, I think it maybe says a little bit more about, about you know, individuals, how we kind of hear perhaps some of this music in, in different ways. Well, that's a, a great closing thought. Uh, thank you all for contributing to another Sad Songs podcast. Yeah, thank you all. Cheers. And thank you for listening. Next episode, Joe will be at the controls, and the song we'll be listening to is We Don't Need Nobody Else by Whipping Boy.